The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is July sixth right now um if you don't want to hear us chat for like 10 minutes just remember there's a timestamp in the episode description you can fast forward if you just want to hear the updates we're going to talk about today i am recording still i mentioned the last episode on my super old computer and i don't know if i talked about this i broke my new microphone which i got within like the last year i snapped something in the micro usb so i'm also using my old microphone now which luckily is also a pretty good microphone (laughs) So if anything sounds different, I'm sorry that my life is in shambles. Maybe you can try for a warranty claim. I was going to look. I think it's partially my fault too, though. I feel like they'll mm. argue that's my fault because yeah. I didn't realize how fragile micro USBs are apparently. And I definitely could have been gentler with it because like, <laughs> I leave the cord plugged into it and then I'll just kind of yeah, take it, it and like put it. Yeah. So I think it kind of just wiggled around too much. But lesson learned, so that's annoying. But <laughs> at least you've got a proper setup today. You've got it working as much as possible. Yeah, I'm not on my phone like last time. <laughs> but I don't know. If anything sounds weird, that's why. Also, mm-hmm. well, I'll be able to edit this one on my usual, on my MacBook. So that should all be fine at least. Because even on the last good. one, I was like, oh, shit, I don't have the music. I don't have any of the stuff. But <laughs> luckily, it was on my iCloud or what the fuck ever. I don't really use Apple usually except I have a MacBook. <laughs> I do not have an iPhone. It all came together. Yeah, for the most part. No one's like really bitched about it yet. So yet, yet. <laughs> I haven't no looked doubt. at the comments. So. No. <laughs> um, it's super hot. I have to turn off my air conditioner to record. There's like a heat advisory and a uh, another air quality advisory and all that. So honestly, everything's just in shambles. I know, here like we're in the winter trenches, like I'm sorry if I sound sick, because I am. <laughs> I was trying to think of a not disgusting word, but yeah, all congested. We're kind of in the trenches of winter. I remember this time last year, I think I was in like Palm Springs or somewhere where it was amazingly hot. Now we're in the freezing cold. It's sunny at least, that's one thing, but yeah, cold, everyone's sick. My friend's little boy's been in hospital with RSV. Oh no. It's all happening. <laughs> So anyway, hopefully we're about halfway through Nelly Winter. I'm just getting ahead of myself. Nelly halfway through. So Nelly there. <laughs> I keep telling myself anyway. At least you have Taylor Swift to look forward to. <laughs> to Only seven months or something to go. <laughs> she still hasn't read your Instagram message. <laughs> Sorry. No, my daughter asked me every day and then there was an Aww. article that came out the other day about how she actually did reply to someone. So I've probably given her some false hope. <laughs> just, just tell her that it was probably someone from her team. Yeah, I know. Because she's like, it was about the person whinging how they didn't get tickets. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. I'll have my team look into it. So I think it 100% was not her. But what a random like message to respond to. I know, like, out of all, like, imagine how many messages like that she gets. Um, They've probably just got copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. (laughs) I think about how many, first of all, who's messaging celebrities, like, for real? (laughs) Like, they shouldn't even have inboxes because it's so dumb. But just, like, imagine the black hole of Taylor Swift's DMs. Imagine how many. Like, even when I sometimes find ones that are years old or, you know, months old in hours, I'm like, wow, imagine, imagine them. Yeah, crazy. We made 
a Threads account. I feel like he's what's the terminology? I feel like such a old person. Like, is well, we made it, a thread? That's what I was saying it? yesterday. <laughs> the equivalent of being like, oh, they tweeted. Like, what? Oh, they threaded? Or do you just say they posted on Threads? Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, for those who don't know, by the time this comes out, I feel like everyone will know. But I've been getting a lot of messages being like, wait, what is this? Instagram made like a Twitter competitor. So it kind of just links to your Instagram account, even though it's a separate app. But it's basically Which is the annoying. same as I Twitter. wish it was all in one. That would be so much easier. Yeah, like you could just switch. Yeah. That'd be easier. And it's annoying because I can't be on Instagram if you have multiple accounts. You can just stay logged in and switch between them. There's like a drop down. But threads, you have to literally log in and log out to if I want to be on mine or if I want to be on True Crime Society, which is annoying. So hopefully they update that soon. But yeah, we'd like to try to use it. I, I don't know how dedicated we'll be, but we'll give it a go. I'm still a bit confused because I feel like it is a cross between posts and stories. So basically it's like you can make a thread like where you write something and everyone can comment and you know you have a conversation, which I feel like you can essentially really do that on Instagram posts. But I guess this way you don't need the image. It's a little bit quicker. I think it's easier to to read on threads for some yeah, reason. Yeah, absolutely. And easier to com- kind of comment back and forth to people as well. Um, yeah. And I do get, like, it's actually a smart move, I think, because Twitter is going down, it seems. Yeah, and so, everyone's, they saw the opportunity ship. to profit. But. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. I think it could be useful for us. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, Meta has really monopolized the social media world. <laughs> I do feel like Threads, though, is a bit clunky at the moment. Like it hasn't got a lot of features that Instagram has. Like you can't switch between, for example, like your personal and the true crime account. You have to log out and log back in. And even things like it will say you've got 10 replies to your thread and then when you go on you can read six and it says some replies cannot be shown. When you click on it, it takes you to like an error page. So I feel like it's very much very early days. Yeah, but also a lot of people join so it could be like. Yeah, overloaded. Yeah, shitting out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll try to do that. Follow us in there. Um, I made a, you made one too. We both made them. I don't know. I I'm trying to talk myself into using it, but Twitter growing up gave me a lot of trauma. So I get so <laughs> scared. Um, I was like bullied relentlessly by some mean girls on Twitter for like a whole fucking year of my life. <sighs> I wasn't even a kid. I was like probably 18, 19, but it was so bad that I get so nervous. I'm just going to post something and I'm going to be like relentlessly ridiculed and harassed. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting over it. I've never been big on Twitter. Like I've had a Twitter account forever and I go on there sometimes if there's like breaking news and see what's happening. But yeah, I don't really ever use it much aside from that. When Twitter was new, I was on it all the time. I was tweeting all the time. It was so embarrassing to look back on, but everyone was <laughs> at the time, which makes it like a little less painful to think about but yeah I used to use it a lot Mm. I don't know I I still have PTSD so we'll say I posted a crying cat which is how I feel it's um like I'm going off on a bit of a tangent but it's kind of interesting that they've relaunched something that already exists like I get now there's probably a bit more of a gap in the market but I wonder if there's ever going to be anything really new in social media like maybe have we reached the limit I guess yeah I mean there's been so many things also like don't really catch on like yeah clubhouse and even be real i know it kind of caught on but are people still using be real i never used it telegram vine remember all those i think telegram yeah, vine but vine. yeah vine's basically just like now it's tiktok i guess was there like periscope is that another one or something like that yeah i yeah. don't remember what that was though 
Neither there's also I. apparently Blue Sky, which is like another Twitter alternate. I don't know what that is. And there's uh, the one Donald Trump made, <laughs> like Truth or something. <laughs> and we're also going to start, I'm like reluctant to say it because we have to commit, but we've been talking about it for a bit, especially with the drama of my job and like basically not having a reliable <laughs> income, which is still tumultuous. Um, we're talking about doing a Patreon. Like a lot of people have messaged us saying that they would love for us to have one and they'd love to like support us directly and I'm not just like saying that so people are like oh okay people really have messaged us it's so like an influencer just, says I've had so many messages asking you know where I got this dress when they've probably had none <laughs> like two messages <laughs> um no people really have messaged us and so we're thinking of starting by just doing ad-free episodes for a low price monthly. We haven't figured out exactly. So we're going to do that and then hopefully eventually expand and maybe do some other tiers, maybe do some bonus episodes. Like a lot of people like the wedding episode we did, we could do other things like that or we could do um, more, we want to do more casual chat crime episodes kind of about recent cases. Like we were saying, doing like a quick one about um, Rudy Arias would have been a good one since it's such a whirlwind. It would have been a good one to do like a quick chat about. We are going to do a real episode on it, but it'd be nice to be able to just kind of pop on something and chat about what's going on casually in a less produced kind of way. Yeah, because this podcast takes a lot of research, a lot of production. So like nothing will change with this podcast. If you're like, you know, you don't get angry. It's all going to be the same. If you listen once a week, you can still listen for free. Nothing's going to change. But it's just for anyone who would like anything additional that's not in the same format as this podcast, essentially. It's for the people who don't fast forward the chat that really like us. <laughs> <laughs> and we did have, like, after that episode, we had so many nice messages and, like, even another one today with, like, I just can't wait for, you know, release day and things like that. So, you know, it might not be for you and that's fine. Just stick with this. But if you are looking for something a little bit different, a little bit, maybe a bit more conversational, casual, that's something that we're looking into. Yeah. And plus, if you're someone who just likes the regular episodes, if I can do Patreon and we can make enough money to quit our jobs, we could put out even more just regular episodes. Uh, aim high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say I'd love to put out more episodes, but like I physically, yeah. mentally am at my limit sometimes. Like we both have jobs. You know, we both have like other jobs. I mean, besides this, this is also almost a full-time job. But yeah. um, we also like I was on Patreon having just a look around the other day and basically every other single podcast pretty much has a Patreon. One podcast yeah. I actually listened to went Patreon only, which we will not do. So don't worry about that. But um, I feel like we're late to jump on the bandwagon. It's just something that might help us a little bit more to be able to create more content, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's scary, but we need to just rip the bandaid off and do it as if it's like torture. And <laughs> it's I know, just like, scary it's, though. I feel like it's too imp it's important like everyone or a lot of people are having a very hard time at the moment money-wise like there's a lot going on people are losing their jobs you know companies yeah. going broke we know there's a lot going on so it won't cost a lot of money um absolutely not it'll be a very small amount per month if you would like to do it if not just stick with this. Yeah so please don't be mean to us about it we're already <laughs> We're already nervous, <laughs> little beans. We're still providing the exact same service. This is just an extra one if you would wish to participate. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that goes. We'll put out more <laughs> info once we, we get it sorted. But yeah, so I guess that, that's all we really have to, to say for now. We're going to get into 
some updates today. Um, we're going to talk about the Delphi stuff that came out. There was more information out about Harmony Montgomery, which we also did a podcast on. We'll, we'll give like a little recap when we get there. Um, and the latest uh, Moscow stuff with Brian Koberger and the house not being, I mean, the house being torn down and the death penalty and all that. So it's kind of just like a little potpourri of an update episode. They're kind of big updates, but not big enough to speak about for an hour each. Um, like, I feel yeah. like they're very important, each of them for their cases. But um, yeah, so that's why we've put them together. Even though there's not really many similarities between the three, it's important to kind of chat about the I think updates, they're, we think. They're all pretty big cases. Maybe Harmony is not as big as like Delphi and Moscow, but I think it's still one a lot of people followed. And also the update's just like sickening, honestly. So trigger warning, two of these, well, all these cases are about the murders of young people yeah young adults and children so trigger warning but harmonies especially for harmonies is, yeah especially horrific it's got a lot of details which are very very sad yeah it's awful so just keep that in mind um but we're gonna start with delphi so um at the end of june 2023 they released 118 documents related to the case delphi is kind of notorious for Everything was very tight-lipped forever. Everything's sealed. Really, there's not that much information known about the actual crime or anything like that. Um, so we're just starting to find out still very, very few things. Um, I think everyone knows this case, really. But just as a refresher, February 2017, Abigail Williams and Liberty German were murdered in Delphi, Indiana. They were had a sleepover. They went out and they were walking on the Monon High Bridge. And a strange man approached them and led them down the hill. Libby was able to get the recording of the man approaching them and his voice on there. So that was out there. There were sketches. And it's really was pretty much unresolved until very recently over the last like year. Things have been starting to go on. So we did an episode on it. If you want to listen to the whole thing if you're not familiar with it. But I think most people are at this point. So we'll just go from there. Richard Allen was arrested. He is a man who lived in Indiana, worked at the local CVS, interacted with the the families. And the reason they even came across him in the first place was because they were re-going over the case and basically kind of found a missed follow-up where they spoke to him. And he admitted to being on the bridge that day into literally wearing the outfit that the guy in the photos and videos was wearing. And the officer wrote like, oh, potential follow-up, but no one ever followed up. So they re-followed up with him and started talking to him. And that's kind of how they latched back onto him. Um, they took some of his guns. A bullet was found at the scene by the girls' bodies. They ran another bullet through his guns and the striations on the bullet matched his gun. So it's kind of like a fingerprint for bullets. It's pretty spot on. Like you do, it's like microscopic because some people are like, is that really all they have? But you know what? It led them, kind of confirmed it was him or someone at least who had his gun. But anyway, so these documents came out. They're very highly anticipated, but I really don't think they gave much information being 118 pages. I went through all of them. The bulk of them is honestly about him complaining that he was being mistreated in prison or jail or wherever the fuck he is. And a lot of it's back and forth about that, honestly. I was hoping there would be more actual factual evidence in the documents like yeah that we know that really. this and this and this where it's not a lot of it is just kind of about things he said um yeah since there's a few arrest. little tidbits but yeah. most of it was not that it wasn't interesting but not what most people were kind of looking for hmm. 
it did confirm for the first time that the girls were killed with a sharp object, which we kind of already knew. One, because it was always a rumor, like a pretty prominent rumor, but also their death certificates were kind of released, which it said that on the death certificates, but it was never officially publicly stated anywhere. So in one of the documents, it says autopsies of the girls ruled their deaths as homicides and their wounds were caused by a sharp object. It also said, which was new information, I'm pretty sure, not that it's especially groundbreaking, that investigators located Libby's iPhone 6 under her body at the scene and they were able to recover a video, which we know the video. But I remember they were saying, I think it must have been when they were missing because they were like, they got into the cloud on their phones. But we never really knew if they had the phones, I don't think, or if the phones were potentially destroyed. I mean, I guess it could have been, but it was there at the scene with her. So sloppy. Like, it would have taken him a second to grab the phone. He clearly, I guess, you know, I understand he was probably panicked and wanted to get out of there, but that would have been a big thing to have taken with him. With how sloppy it really was, like him being on video, his voice, all that, he got away with it for a long time. Yeah, he did. Um, It also said in there is a version of the affidavit, which was already released, but it's totally unredacted. So if you read the original redacted affidavit and found it kind of confusing to follow because so much was blocked out, like mostly names and stuff, this one does make it a little easier to follow. They did say also in here that they determined... That articles of clothing from the girls were missing from the scene, including a pair of underwear and a sock. We always heard kind of things that some of the girls' belongings were in the creek. Um, I think on some of the scanner during that time that people were listening to, they said they found a pair of underwear and stuff in the creek that they bagged for evidence. I don't know if it was technically theirs or if it was just unrelated, but um, there's always rumors about stuff like that as well. It also says somewhere, I couldn't find it when I tried to go back, But investigators also said they believe in the audio of the video that Libby took that you can hear someone cycling like bullets through a gun because they kind of think that he used the gun to corral them to go where he wanted them to because Abby also says in the video like gun like that guy has a gun. So they think they heard him cycling the rounds or whatever through. One of the bigger things as well that came out with the documents was that Richard once he was in jail actually confessed multiple times to his wife and his mother that he did commit the crimes. Um, It says the defendant has admitted that he committed the offenses and he's charged with no less than five times while talking to his wife and mother on the public jail phones available at Indiana Department of Corrections. So then it says that his wife then abruptly ended the call. That's kind of what led into this panic by the defense, it seems like, because their immediate As soon as that happened, the defense started saying that Richard was being treated worse than a prisoner of war and he was going through horrific conditions, his mental health. They like had a picture of him all disheveled looking and they're trying to say that his mental state is horrible. So basically the admissions of guilt can't really be counted because of his mental state. Yeah, he's going crazy. So he's saying, you know. Crazy things. Yeah. Um, So... That's what a lot of the documents were about. In the documents, there's also a letter from another inmate there writing, writing, saying that Richard was being mistreated and that they're calling him a kid killer and all this stuff. But if you look that guy up, he is also in prison for child sex abuse related crimes. So like, hmm. found himself a friend. Yeah. 
So in terms of kind of what Richard has said versus what is apparently reality, I found a document online, I'll pop it on the blog, um, basically. So the defence are claiming that he's been, quote, entombed in a cell as small as six foot in width by 10 foot in length, a space no larger than a dog kennel. The reality is apparently he's been in a 12 foot by eight foot, eight point five foot cell since the day he arrived in prison. Like I'm pretty sure that's probably just a standard cell size. He's not being kept in anything smaller than a standard cell, it seems. Even six foot by ten foot, I'm like, that's like pretty big. Yeah, like I don't know how big I expected a cell to be, but try living in a New York City apartment, my man. Um, another one claim they said is he's sleeping on a pad on a concrete floor where he actually apparently has a mattress on a metal bed frame. Again, same standard. But then they also said they had to take away his bed frame because he was on suicide watch or something. Uh, so like, yes, but that was also just normal. Yeah. Um, they said he can only shower one to two times a week where he's allowed three showers a week. Like that, that, you know, that is a bit ridiculous. I guess, you know, once a week would be, but anyway, whatever. Um, Three times a week, that's plenty. (laughs) It says he's required to wear the same clothes, including underwear for days and days on end, all of which are soiled, stained, tattered and torn. The reality is apparently he has three sets of clothing. He also has access to the commissary where he has bought clothing, shoes and socks. And with those, there was like whatever document I was from with the the state or the prosecution's response, they were like, it's not our fault that he's choosing not to shower three times a week and is choosing not to change his clothes. Yeah. He, he has, has the, the access to them. He's and you just know not doing it. He doesn't have the option to live a free life and shower twice a day and wear two sets of clothes a day, but he, it seems like he has adequate, you know, allowance to these things. And yeah, he's just not using them. Yeah, because he's trying to feed into it as his defense now. One other claim, it says, Mr. Allen has not been afforded any opportunity to visit his wife or other family members during the last five months, and he has been subjected to conditions akin to those of a prisoner of war. So they've said that he does have the option to one-on-one visits with his family if he requests it. However, he hasn't requested it. He saw his wife for the first time in May when his defense attorney brought her along. Also, Prisoners of war should be absolutely offended at that fucking statement. Yeah, I like, know. What an insane Getting thing to three say. meals a day, I'm assuming, you know, or meals a also, day. Also, he's a suspected child murderer. Yeah. Uh, and then this last one, it says, Mr. Allen is afforded very little, if any, recreation time outside his cold concrete and metal quarters. And their rebuttal is he has a tablet, which accesses music, movies, and phone calls, and he is afforded one hour of exercise and recreation time five times a week so five days a week seems like a luxury an hour (laughs) i know a nice tablet tablet to watch some movies well and apparently they can text on it as well and they said that he was making two phone calls a day from it and like texting from it i'm sure it's probably just his family he's allowed to text or whatever it's probably through some app i'd suspect but ever since they had to be like his mental health he he stopped doing all that and broke the tablet there's a full document where they kind of rebut 15 things that they've said. And basically what he's getting is the same as every other inmate. So his mm-hmm. recreation time is exactly the same. The sh- clothes and shower time is exactly the same. The cell is a standard size. All inmates get that mattress. So there's absolutely nothing extra horrible about his treatment. It's just the standard treatment that you get in that jail. Right. And they said somewhere that he was – threatening suicide or making suicidal remarks so sure maybe things are a little stricter because he's on suicide watch or was at some point but still that's all seems pretty standard yeah it also said in the documents that they do believe that his voice is the one in the cell phone video saying down the hill to the girls which 
Yeah, I would assume. <laughs> and they also put up um, the search warrants and what they took from his house when they searched it. I don't think any of it is overly interesting. One thing I did guns. see on there that was kind of interesting is the Carhartt coat, sealed paper bag, bag containing one blue Carhartt coat, which I know it had always been um, like in the analysis of online <laughs> detectives that maybe the coat was a Carhartt brand. I, that stood out to me. I don't know if it was the same coat, but it seems possible. I wonder if it's literally the same coat. How insane would you have to be yeah. to keep that fucking coat? Even things like sealed paper bag containing one pair of Timbaland boots. I feel like, if I remember rightly, it looks like I feel like, like it looked like he was wearing boots, boots like that. Yeah. yeah. There's, like, there's other boots on there, like dirty thoroughgood boots. So it could be and another pair of dirty black boots. So it could be any of those. But um, I remember they were like thick-looking, rugged boots. And it's interesting that they took like a whole bunch of pairs of jeans. Like I can see four here, five actually. So it looked like also he was wearing jeans. Like they seemed like yeah. they were specific in the clothing they took. They didn't take all of his clothing, I assume. They just took some very specific That might have been all, all his jeans. I've only got yeah. like Yeah, no, I agree. But like, there's no, like I, can't, I can't really see, for example – I don't know, I don't want to say it in case I'm wrong, but like T-shirts and things like that. There's a lot of sweatshirts, jackets, oh, yeah. hoodies, um, even things like skull caps they've put on their stocking caps. So it looked like it maybe. it looked like he was wearing. Yeah. I think one of the girls said it looked like he was wearing a hat and a hood or something. Yeah. But lots of knives on here. Yeah. Lots, lots of, of phones. Guns, phones. Hard drives. Uh, cameras, yeah, they just took a lot of, yeah, basically technology, anything that looked similar to what the person was wearing on the bridge. Yeah. Micro and they also USB took headbands. stuff from his car as well. They swabbed his driver's lap belt. So I guess, you know, if there was any blood or any other DNA on it, that would have been interesting. Why are there so many fucking phones? <laughs> no, I guess like, it's kind like, of a red flag. <sighs> like I have my old ones, but I don't have that many. I'm assuming if you wore any of those clothes during this because the person there was a person who saw him walking along the side of the road that said that he was covered in mud and blood the person so if he kept any of those clothes I feel like there would still be blood somewhere on them yeah and I really do feel with him sorry it was um like dumb luck that he wasn't found sooner like he was on their radar sooner he just kind of slipped away in the chaos and the panic so I'd feel like he wasn't especially clever about how he carried out this crime. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did hold on to some of the stuff. Yeah. And I've said this before with cases. It's a perfect example of why sometimes the public hysteria can kind of hinder an investigation because mm-hmm. maybe if there wasn't so many tips and so much chaos, maybe they wouldn't have this follow up wouldn't have slipped through the cracks is what I always wonder. So his trial is scheduled for January 2024 right now. I'm sure there'll be more updates between then and now. When um, I posted on Instagram earlier that we were doing updates on these three cases and did anyone have any questions or comments and someone wrote they would like to hear our thoughts on the photo released by the defence of Richard and that it seems like it's very convenient timing. So I'll put the photo on the blog and we've posted it on our Facebook too but um, oh, sorry, no, one of him looking dishevelled. Yeah, so he's kind of looking down. Almost looks like he's drooling. He's got like drool on his prison outfit. He has lost a ton of weight. Like that's not in dispute. He looks horrible. Like when I saw it, I actually was like, "Wow, that is a big decline." Um, 
but I do agree. Like I'm not surprised he's losing weight. He's probably very stressed, very anxious. The food would be shit. <laughs> like I'm, you know, there's yeah, a, you multiple don't have, like, reasons. Free access to food. Yeah, and he was why? kind of chubby before. I feel like he seemed like I'm I'm generalizing, but there was photos of him before in a bar. Like he obviously can't drink now, which would you mm-hmm. know maybe lead to some weight loss. Um, I just feel like they picked the absolute worst photo they could of him where he looked horrible and released it to the public. I'm sure like, you know, in other mugshots and stuff we've seen, he looks normal. He looks not like, you know, not like that. The state even said that the photo was taken literally after he just came back from recreation hour or something. So he was a little sweaty and gross looking. (laughs) He was all sweaty. Yeah. And also he clearly hadn't changed his clothes for days and they said in the thing they're like nobody's making him wear dirty clothes or clothes that are soiled he's just choosing to i do agree that the photo was released at very convenient timing kind of that was when they launched their whole he's been treated horribly um it was right after he made the confessions apparently um the only other question which i don't really know the answer to we've spoken about it a bit in the past is if there's any dna in this case i believe the police always kind of alluded to having dna but in all the documents that have come out it's not in there if I'm they right. said they always said things like well yeah there's lots of dna at the crime scene you know but we just have to figure out whose dna is whose we have to cancel out the family we have to cancel out to try to get to the actual killer's dna they've never confirmed if they have the dna of the killer they've always been very ambiguous about it yeah which i feel like maybe now that they know that they have him they might be able to find dna that was at the crime scene but people were walking all over that whole area as well looking for the girls early on and also like he's a local he's probably been on that bridge before so even if his dna was there like you know it would be different he could easily be like yeah it was there bodies for example like I know there was rumors of cigarettes being found at the scene and stuff maybe he was a smoker I don't know but unless I feel like unless the DNA was actually found on the girls it would be hard to prove like or hard to use that in the case anyway or the defense could try to give reasonable doubt of why it was there but yeah they've never confirmed or denied either way all right harmony okay so a lot happened in June all these three updates happened in June um We learn more about the tragic probable death of Harmony Montgomery. She was apparently murdered by the one person who was meant to love her the most, her father. We first did an episode for Harmony in January 2022. If you're not familiar with her case, she was last seen alive in 2019, but she wasn't reported missing until 2021. There seems to have been kind of a spate of cases like this, like Oakley Carlson was another one who took a long time to get reported missing. There's just all this, sometimes these kids who just slip through the cracks and it's honestly years before anyone realizes that they haven't been seen. Mm-hmm. So they just released the affidavit in this case. And as we mentioned earlier, the details are horrific. So just a trigger warning for this. So Adam allegedly beat Harmony to death in a fit of rage after she had a bathroom accident in the car that the family was living in. So I feel like that is just, even when they're living in a car, this family of, you know, there was Adam and Kayla and Harmony and in the car, living in the car, what, like that's just horrible enough anyway. But he beat her to death apparently after she had the accident in the car and he kind of carried her body from the place to place that they live next in an effort to conceal her remains. He repeatedly struck Harmony, who was five years old at the time, in the head after he was frustrated over the bathroom accident. And this was in December 2019. A lot of this information comes from Adam's estranged wife, Kayla Montgomery, and she told police all this information. 
after a long quote. time of lying, though. Yeah. So don't give her too much credit. And she's yeah. also been arrested and charged, I feel like, with drug possession and drug-related yeah. issues. Like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of drugs. Um, so this is direct from the affidavit. It says, Kayla described that Harmony was in the rear seat on the passenger side, and while Adam was driving, he turned his body and delivered sets of three to four blows with a closed fist to Harmony's face and head on three separate occasions over the course of a few minutes. Kayla stated that after the final blow, Adam said words to the effect of that he felt something or heard something when he hit Harmony, and he said, I think I really hurt her this time. I think I did something. After that, Harmony began making a moaning noise and the family went to Burger King, as you do, um, and she moaned for about five minutes and then stopped. In the affidavit, it says, at no time did anyone stop or get Harmony medical attention as the result of this assault. Kayla said this happened in the morning while the family was on their way to Burger King. Afterwards, the family returned to the parking lot of the Colonial Village Apartments, and that is, I believe, where they had been living in their car in the parking lot of these apartments. The family stayed at Colonial Village for approximately 20 minutes, during which time no one checked on Harmony. So Harmony did apparently die in that car a short time later. Adam and Kayla put her lifeless body into an Under Armour duffel bag before transferring her body into a red cooler with a white top. There's actually photos of the cooler and a lot of the evidence in the affidavit. So looks like a smallish cooler, like, you know, one that you could carry with one arm. Essentially, they put her body in there. Also, how fucking just, like, white trash you beat the shit out of your poor daughter living in your car because she's too scared to speak up to say she has to go to the bathroom because I'm sure this isn't the first time you beat her up on your way to Burger King and still fucking go get Burger King while she's dying in the car. Horrible. It's just horrible. They go on to say, Kayla explained how Harmony's body was moved to various locations over the course of the next several months. She stated that after living in the Colonial Village parking lot, they moved in with her mother. When they arrived at that residence, Harmony's body, which was still in the duffel bag inside the cooler, was placed in the common hallway of the apartment building. She stated that the body was left there the whole time the family stayed there until the end of December 2019. So I'm assuming that's weeks. This body lay in the cooler in a hallway and no one knew or did anything about it. Um, they've also apparently placed Harmony's body inside garbage bags and a refrigerator after her death. In June 2022, Kayla alleged that Adam placed the duffel bag with Harmony's remains in a ceiling vent in a bedroom when they moved into a shelter. Kayla stated that during this time there was liquid coming from the bag containing Harmony's dead body and that there was an odour. She said that Adam placed a trash bag around the bag to keep it from leaking. So detectives later searched the ceiling vent and they took an area of the roof for DNA. There's a photo of it there. It's like, you know, like an air conditioning ceiling vent type thing. Um, They did get some DNA from that and they said the DNA profile obtained from the sample is approximately 1.1 trillion times more probable if the sample originated from Harmony Montgomery and one unknown person than if it originated from two unknown persons. So in February 2020, the family moved to Union Street. Kayla has said that Harmony's remains were transferred into a fridge there Adam then allegedly moved his daughter's remains into a Catholic Medical Center maternity bag after spending hours in the bathroom with the shower running. So, like, it goes on to talk about that she, he probably likely dismembered her at that point. I'm guessing at that point, decomposition would have set in a lot and it would have been, like, I don't even want to get into details, but it would have been easier than dismembering a body that had just passed away. Yeah. Um, the bag is tiny. Like there's a photo of it. It's literally a tote bag that you would take to go buy bread and milk or something like that. Like a, yeah, like a canvas tote bag. 
Um, in the affidavit, it says this bag was much smaller than the Under Armour bag and it would likely not fit Harmony's body unless it was dismembered or grossly distorted. Kayla described an odour coming from the bathroom and saw steam when Adam would open the door. She remembers the scent of cleaning supplies when Adam had finished up. So Adam later took that bag to his place of work, which was the Paul and Pie Company. He stored Harmony's remains in a walking cooler for a week or so. So he's literally just carrying this body, putting it wherever he wants. I can't believe he got away with it for so long. And like that no one noticed. I mean, I guess you see people carrying bags all the time and you don't think much of it, but it's also just like he left it for how long at his job? Like a week or so. They did ask a worker about it and the worker had said that he saw the bag on the floor and he'd asked, oh no, he'd never asked Adam about it because he never knew he had children. <laughs> like I guess you would never, ever, <laughs> oh. ever think, well, I don't know. I would probably also never look in it. I'd just think, oh, whatever. But So I guess being in that cooler, the remains froze. Adam eventually took the bag back to their apartment where he dumped the remains in the tub with a bag of lime so that it would help with the decomposition of her body. Kayla said Adam had a difficult time fitting Harmony's body back into the bag. Harmony's body was frozen. She admitted to helping Adam cut Harmony's clothes off her body to make her fit into the bag. In So she died in December 2019. In either March or May of 2020, Adam rented a U-Haul and drove to an unknown destination to dispose of Harmony's dead body in the middle of the night, according to Kayla. Kayla said that she saw that basically they were standing in a Connor Lodge or a Comforting and that she saw a U-Haul from the hotel window and that basically when he got back he was very tired and he said words to the effect of, it's done. So Adam is facing charges of second-degree murder, tampering with witnesses and informants, falsifying physical evidence and abuse of a corpse in his daughter's death. The murder trial is due to begin in November this year, I believe. So And they've never found her No, she's or- still missing. I just like I knew it was going to be horrendous. I maybe didn't think it was going to be that horrendous. I thought maybe she just the the lengths that he went through, yeah, and carried this body around for so long. He's absolutely deranged. Should be in prison for the rest. Anyone who could do that for that long is a fucking sick person. Yeah, and I also don't know why Kayla isn't being punished more. Like, I maybe I'm assuming there was a plea deal. And she there had gave to be because without yeah. this, they'd probably have nothing, basically. And I still can't believe. Also, another case, dumb luck. Like he just got lucky that no one looked in the bag, no one looked in the cooler, and he somehow mm-hmm. managed to carry his daughter's remains around for either four or six months before disposing of them. There's not really any questions about harmony. There's a lot of comments. Someone said, I'm still heartbroken about Harmony and angry at the judge who took her out of a loving foster home and placed her with her father who was clearly a violent oh, criminal. Oh, yes. Because she had that lovely foster, seemingly lovely, I'm assuming lovely, foster mother. Oh, yeah, her foster mom was really nice, it yeah. seemed. I mean, I don't know her, but she made a lot of very nice posts, like kind of advocating to search for her. It seems like she was very cared for under her foster mother's care. Yeah, she seemed to really love her. But then she also had a family that wanted to adopt her, but she was already given back to Adam because she had... I think a twin brother, at least a brother that was adopted by um, a news broadcaster guy. I don't remember his name, but in his husband and they were, they wanted to have harmony as well so that they could keep them together. And, you know, they seem nice. It seems like the brother is doing well. So it's so sad that she could have, she had two opportunities that were fucked. And they still gave them back to Adam, who was living in his car with his, you know, doing and drugs CPS in the car. And went and checked their house, too. And they're like, it's not great, but not terrible. Um, I read a sad article about the other, so the brother's 
got too many words here, the brother's foster father who is now his adoptive father, they said that they went back and looked at their records and that basically they think the day they actually legally adopted Harmony's brother was the day she likely died. Mm. And it goes, I feel just horrible that like it's just a sliding doors moment, isn't it, that that kid got lucky and was allowed to go to the foster home and Harmony was given back to Adam. Bad story. Hopefully he gets the max punishment. Surely. Surely he has to. And Kayla can get fucked as well. Mm. Um. All right. So the last one we're going to talk about is some stuff with Moscow. So prosecutors announced on June 26th that they intend to seek the death penalty. Another case I don't really think we need to go into background. I think we've all followed this one, but he is accused of murdering Ethan, Zana, Kaylee, and Madison in Moscow, Idaho in their house in November last year. If you hadn't followed that case somehow, if you want to know more about it, we did two pretty big episodes on that case that you could go back and listen to. And we have tons of highlights on our Instagram. I think we're up to tons. Moscow number six. So if you really know nothing about the case, go and start at one and you'll catch up in about three days. <laughs> yeah, it was a big, big case on social media and still is, honestly. According to CNN, in March this year, Idaho Governor Brad Little signed a new law giving the state's Department of Corrections up to five days after a death warrant is issued to determine if lethal injection drugs are available. And if the drugs are not available, a firing squad can perform the execution. That's that seems interesting. So, Some people be on death row for years. It seems so barbaric, too, that they could actually use a firing, a firing squad. squad. Like, I feel right. like they do that in Indonesia and countries like that where they really are like, too bad you're going to die for, you know, importing drugs or whatever. Whereas I just feel like I can't believe it's still an option. Yeah, it is crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Um, the prosecution is not identified or been provided with any mitigating circumstances to stop it from considering the death penalty, according to a court document filed on Monday. And it said, Conse- consequently, considering all evidence currently known to the state, the state is compelled to file this notice to inten- notice of intent to seek the death penalty. Prosecution will continue to review additional information as it is received and reserves the right to amend or withdraw the notice. So around that time, we learned about that. We also found some more info about the DNA evidence. Um, So this info is from NBC. It says DNA on a knife sheath found at the off-campus home where four Idaho college students were killed last November directly links accused murderer Brian Koberger to the crime scene, according to court documents filed by prosecutors last week. Law enforcement officials used investigative genetic genealogy to link DNA found on the sheath to Koberger 28. The investigation found that the DNA was at least 5.37 octillion times more likely to be Koberger's than an unrelated member of the public. I feel like they said at the time when they did say there was DNA evidence, it wasn't directly related to Brian. It was related more to his dad. They used like some genealogical research, but now- so they went, in Pennsylvania, they went through his trash um, after he brought it out and they saw that Brian was also bringing the trash out with gloves and they took some stuff from the trash seems like brian was being very careful about like his stuff going in the trash because the dna that they got off of something was his dad's dna and they were able to connect his dad's dna to the dna found at the scene so they could tell they're related yeah but this update says that the stuff on the knife is a hundred percent from brian or 5.37 octillion times yeah so now they actually have brian they connected him actually to the DNA that was there. So Brian's legal team gave a bizarre explanation of this, which I I don't even 
think it's like a correct response to what was said, but says the attorney characterizes investigative genetic genealogy as bizarrely complex DNA tree experiment and writes that there is no explanation for the total lack of DNA evidence from the victims in Brian's apartment, office, or home vehicle, which they never said there wasn't. Mm. Just, I guess he would know, though, what they have. Rather than seeing it as some sort of complex tree building that led to him, it appears far, far more like a lineup where the government was already aware of who they wanted to target. Um, they also said that another man's DNA was found on a glove outside the house less than a week after the murders and that the DNA of two additional men were found in the house by December 17th. He said the defense team is unaware of what, if any, testing was conducted on those samples. No shit. It was a fucking college party house. Of course, there's other DNA there. Yeah, I know. It's just such a reach. And yes, genetic genealogy might be a little something that the defense could poke holes in as being reasonable doubt, but they've matched his DNA to it now. Like, I don't know if they're going to try to be like, oh, well, the way that they pinpointed him was sketchy, which it really wasn't because they were already on to him at that point to be outside of his house looking at his trash. And, like, the thing is, too, there's so many other pieces of evidence, like him doing the, you know, returning the driveway. Like, they, they, it's not like they're and just And I bet there's more lucky. that we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I want to know what his search history, social media, all that was like. Hopefully we'll find out. Yeah. So the other kind of main news in the Moscow case is that they are still planning to tear down the house. There was tr- were trucks seen there the other day. Everyone's like, wow, what I think they were crime scene cleaning trucks. Everyone's like, what's going on? But apparently they were just retrieving the belongings of the four people to give back to their families. They had it set up so you couldn't see what they were taking in and out. They had kind of a tarp set up between the car and the door so they could take stuff out without anyone seeing Mm-hmm. So if you're not familiar with the house, it was I believe it was owned by developers um, who kind of rented it out as an investment. But anyway, they whoever it was gave the house to the University of Idaho. In February 2023, the president of the university sent out an email saying that the house would be de- demolished. He said this is a healing step and removes the physical structure where the crime that shook our community was committed. Demolition also removes efforts to further sensationalize the crime scene. So they are apparently, I believe, planning to demolish this house before the trial. Attorney Shannon Gray, who represents Kaylee, Maddie and Zana's family, said the families want the house to remain standing until the criminal case is resolved. But the University of Idaho spokesperson said recently, we are currently working on removing all personal items from the house. The families can claim them. Then we will move forward with the demolition. This is an interview with Shannon Gray, the attorney for the victims' families. Uh, I mean, what, what, what's the deal in Moscow? Why has this become such a big deal? I really can't explain it to you. Um, it seems very commonsensical. Um, what a privilege it might it is to the University of Idaho to be able to just demo the place and move on. That's not something the victims' families um, or even the community has the opportunity to do. But they've taken this stance where we want to know what you think, but then we don't really want to listen to what you think if it doesn't agree with our line of what we want to do with the house. So I, it's beyond me and it's beyond the families, uh, the Gonzaga's family in particular, uh, about why they're demoing the house, why they're moving so fast. I think we've expressed, you know, over and over again to them that it's important to just keep the house there just in case someone needs it. And then when the trial's over, do whatever you want with it. Um, 
you know, and the response has basically been, you know, victims' families spend legal money to give us a legal argument on why we shouldn't have to be able to demo the house, which I find is just absolutely ridiculous. One of the things that's been hard to track, Shannon, is the timeline on the demolition because, uh, you know, they said it was going to happen imminently at one point, which was quite some time ago, and now they're still removing items from the house, but it is still standing. Are they giving the families or you any more specifics uh, on a timeline? No, not really. I mean, you know, initially it was set to be demolished, and then the defense put a stop to it. And then they got a chance to go in and take a look at the house, things like that. And then um, the private items, the personal items were removed. A lot of the personal items were removed from the home. They were turned over to the families. Um, and then uh, they contacted us and said, hey, if there's any kind of furniture or large items that you might want that are still in the house. Um, and I was contacted uh, by the families and said, hey, Shannon, can you walk the house so we can see if what we want and what we don't want? Um, and they, basically the university said, no, uh, Mr. Gray, you're not going to be allowed into the house at all. Um, and we'll remove the items. And then we'll let you know when you can pick those things up or get those things. And so um, and throughout that entire time. Uh, from the beginning, we've asked them not to demo the house. Mm. Um, so it's been going on for months, months of asking them. And every time they come back and they give us a, a date, it gets moved back. So I'm hoping that they'll just stop it. Well, so. we saw in, in Parkland, and granted, it's a different situation. More time has gone by in there. But I mean, to see that some of these families are going to go inside that building, it just it breaks your heart. But at the same time, you can understand, you know, people want to see where, where their loved one, you know, had their final moments. Uh, is that a discussion that's come up at all with, with the Gonzaleses or any of the other families that you know in terms, I mean, would they eventually want to go inside? Well, remember, remember in Parkland, though, they know who did it. Yeah. They knew who the person was. I think he admitted to it. You know, they arrested him on the scene. Uh, and the jury still wanted to go take a look at the, at the property, right? Yeah. This is a case where we don't know anything about the case. Uh, we don't have any facts about it. Uh, we don't know what's involved in it. Um, and so I think it's emotional for a lot of the families as well. It's the last place where their child was. And I think as part of the healing process as well, you may not want to step in that house now, but maybe later you might want to take a look and just, you know, just be where your child was the last time they were alive. And it seems very dramatic, but it's a very emotional. And um, you also, you know, the families, there's a need to stay connected to the people that were there, you know, Dylan and Bethany um, as being their roommates. I think the families feel there's a certain amount of bond there because they were there, right? And you can't explain it um, as, uh, the victims' families, only the victims can go through that, that are going through that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of value to it. I think there's a lot of evidentiary value to it. And then there's also the personal aspect of it for the families. And I would implore that anybody who has any influence on the University of Idaho, who's a graduate or uh, calls them and tells them to stop what they're doing and listen to the victims' yeah. families. Yeah, it's a really, really good point you make, Shannon. I mean, it, it does seem... It, like it's just so soon that they just sort of want to erase in a sense of what happened there almost from like a PR perspective. So I asked on Instagram what everyone thought about tearing the house down. 
94% of people said it shouldn't be torn down until after the trial, which I agree. I don't really know what the rush is. I feel like the rush is so when the trial does happen, there's not, you know, people go into the house to look, but essentially it's all boarded up. You can't see in the house anymore. I just feel like to preserve any evidence would be wise, you would think. I think also because until the trial, then they'd have to pay some security company to watch the house and all that. Yeah. But I agree. I think it's silly to knock it down. I mean, I understand why they'd why to, why they'd want to. Like, it's kind of a bad Eventually, omen. Eventually, yeah. But imagine how scary it would be for the families just not having that kind of security blanket of it being there. If In their minds, I'm sure they're like, what if they missed something? What if something is in the house that could help with the trial? It would be very hard for them to permanently let that go before this is resolved. But also, I wonder if it was cleaned up already, like the blood and everything. Because, you know, with Parkland, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting, they kept that school up the whole time until the trial. They left the blood, they left everything so that the jury could walk through it. And I mean, if it's cleaned up already, I guess I can see more of the reason why to tear it down. But if they haven't cleaned up the blood and everything yet, I think that it'd be way more impactful for the jury to literally go to the house and be there and see how brutally these kids were murdered versus just yeah. seeing crime scene photos. I just feel like the only benefit essentially to tearing it down is a financial benefit for the university to yes, not have to worry totally. about it. Um, I feel like just keeping it as a let's have it just in case is surely should be what is happening. And just for the family's peace of mind. like So they the, those families are kind of hoping that it won't be demolished before the trial, but Kaylee's mum did speak to ABC News and she said that she was glad no one else would live in the house. She said, it's going to be very multifaceted for me because my daughter lived in that home. She lived a happy life in that home and she loved living there. And for the real story, Mm. what happened in that house was so horrific that it has to be torn down. That doesn't happen that often. For them to say, no, we don't want any family in here. We don't want anyone living in here. It's got to be torn down. It's definitely not happy, which I agree. I'm sure it's also tough though, being like, that's the last place they were. And it has to be torn down. Like that's sad. There's always been tons of conspiracy theories or just very involved theories on social media. There's so many people who I feel like comment on this case just for views and profit, which again, I've said this before, I know it seems hypocritical coming from me as someone with a crime podcast who's literally talking about it. But just there's some people who, not anyone specific, I'm just saying kind of in general, who want to put out these like big sensational theories about the roommates or other people who partied at the house just for views. Mm. And I, I think that's bullshit and a shitty thing to do. I mean, if you want to speculate to yourself and look and talk to your friends about it, that's one thing. But putting out all these wild TikToks or email chains about how, you know, things, how it's like a big drug circle and all these people are involved in like huge drug dealing. I just think that's fucked up. Even after the affidavit or the document that the police released that has so much technical information about his phone, about his car, like that's still not enough for some people. There's a lot of Brian Koberger supporters who think that he's being (laughs) framed. But it's like why the fuck would they choose him to frame? Uh, And like why Uh, would the government be after Brian Koberger? Like, uh, Or trying to cover up something for these kids. There's just so many dumb accusations where it's just like annoying to me honestly because i feel like it gives people like us who kind of just talk about 
what actually happened and things that make the most sense and don't completely sensationalize the story. I feel like we just kind of get grouped in with all these people who come up with these insane theories. And I don't like that. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be seen in that light. (laughs) Um, I hope no one comes after me for this. Like, get your bag, but it's not for me. So one of the questions or comments we had in regards to this case is someone said, has Brian ever released a statement on his arrest, some sort of declaration? He hasn't. I remember, though, when he was first arrested, their quote was he was eager to be exonerated over their deaths. That came from the attorney and that he wouldn't fight extradition. But aside from that, he has not, as far as I am aware, made any statements. Even he didn't even plead at the last court appearance. He just stood silent so the judge entered the not guilty plea for him. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so he definitely hasn't ever made a statement or even through his attorney regarding the arrest, I don't think. So I believe Brian is due back in court October is when it's all meant to kick off. Um, I still don't know if it will, hopefully, but time will see. Yeah, we'll see. Seems very far away, but Mm. I'm sure it'll come quickly. I can't believe it's already July, honestly, so. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for our updates. Let us know what you guys think. Message us. Follow us on threads and all that. Love to hear what you guys think about these cases. Follow us on Instagram, True Crime Society. Our personal accounts. Mine is Steph Sum underscore Olivia's TCS Olivia. If you're listening on Spotify or any platform, make sure you're actually following us or subscribed or whatever the little button is on the platform of your choosing. It's a big help to us, especially as we mentioned during the summer when everyone's out living their best life. <laughs> we don't get as many downloads. And I, we're not as pathetic as we're making it sound. It's not like no one's <laughs> listening, but it just helps. So if you want to help us, please do that and leave us some nice reviews. And if we do put up a Patreon, please at least check it out and give it a look. Otherwise, this will always be the same, like we said. That's it. Share the podcast with your friends. Share it on Instagram. And that's it. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. Peace out. See ya.